right, welcome to another episode of Practically Theologians, where we attempt to help make theology practical. That is our focus, that's our aim. Uh, Hopefully we can help take some of the deeper theological truths of God's Word and uh, uh, explain them or discuss them in a way that uh, works itself out as we live out our faith and uh, as we proclaim the excellencies of who God is to the world around us which is our, uh, a deep desire that Christians have to make the God known that has saved us and delivered us from our sins. Today, I'm very excited. We actually uh, we had a question that was posted on our Facebook page several months ago, and we're now getting around to answering this question. It's actually a series of questions. Our Facebook page is, practi- we have a Practically Theologians Facebook page, and a listener shared some, some questions that we had put on the that we had posed to anyone that might come across that post. So we're going to be discussing those this morning. Um, they're, they can stretch us in some areas as far as understanding some of the the more um, difficult passages of Scripture maybe, but we're going to turn that over to Josh and let him explain that in a very, very clear manner. Right, Josh? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so with me today is Josh. Uh, he is in vacationing right now in Southern California, and I'm Andrew. I'm in Central Illinois. We are on our break from seminary. We're doing schoolwork, but we're not in Colorado right now where we typically record. So, um, Josh, we got a lot to cover today, so we're going to get right to it. Uh, and we're talking about the idea of righteousness, uh, someone being considered righteous. And I'll just kind of read the comment here. Uh, there's the idea that one would be righteous by faith alone. So that's a, from a Reformed perspective, that's that's pretty normal language to be justified, uh, to be declared righteous by faith alone. Uh, but the question here is that some verses seem to indicate that our righteousness is Christ's righteousness imputed to us, while others indicate that a believer who does right is righteous. And then the one example that's brought up there is 1 John 3, 7. So we're looking at is are we righteous because Christ's righteousness has been given to us or is the one who does right righteous Uh, or is there a way that those can work together? And as we've talked about several times in understanding scripture, we allow scripture to interpret itself. It never contradicts itself. So what we're looking for is what is the uh, proper understanding where would these two different ideas can work together? Uh, and bring us to a proper understanding of, of righteousness. So, uh, Josh, any initial thoughts there on that first question? Yeah. So the, my initial thoughts are this goes right to the authority of Scripture, first of all, and, and the inspiration of Scripture. Because if Scripture is inspired and um, inerrant and and it's of God, then it's authoritative and self-authenticating, and it does not uh, contradict itself. And uh, all those things that are in Scripture, then, therefore, would be teach a coherent and complete doctrine of, of righteousness by faith alone or justification, if you are a Protestant anyway. That's, (laughs) That's, <laughs> but that's the that's the thing. See, uh, the Reformation was was about justification by faith alone, on the one hand. But 
at the end of the day, what it came down to really was uh, what was behind it was the claim of the Catholic Church to be the one one over the scriptures in authority. So the Catholic Church interprets the scriptures versus God himself giving us scriptures and the scriptures being um, therefore the authority over the church and the Christians. So the reformers looked at the Bible and they said, hey, the Bible says we are justified by faith alone, that, that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us based on many passages in the Bible. The Catholic Church looked at the Bible and said, uh, no, we interpret the Bible as saying that Christ's righteousness is infused into us. So by working, our works make us righteous. That's very basic. But what do you think? Yeah, I, get I think that's, right? a good, that's a good starting point from the perspective. Go ahead. So I think that, yeah, if I got, I mean, if that sounds like I got it right, it's hard to tell. Sometimes when I'm talking what I said, (laughs) if what I said is understandable. But I guess, yeah, the authority of Scripture then would be what we first need to establish, I think. So, yes, yes, absolutely. So so to summarize, basically what we're saying is um, when you're looking at a difficult, a difficult uh, doctrine or theological truth, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we are submitting our view of who God is and what he has revealed. We're submitting it to itself, right? It's its own authority and it determines how we should be thinking about it rather than um, an outside entity or a church or outside authority telling us this is what you must believe about the Bible. Uh, And that's important when we have two different ideas that potentially could first on the surface appear to be contradictory um, we, we would want to start with, okay, so whatever scripture says about this, the, the, the proper understanding of scripture, the proper understanding of these passages as scripture explains itself will be the, you know, the overarching or the, the, uh, the right conclusion, the right, uh, understanding of scripture as a whole. So I think that it's good to establish that, that what we're looking at here is not, this isn't we're not looking to answer this question in the sense of, well, this is what I would say. Or as smart as you might be, Josh, we're not looking at uh, this is what Josh's thoughts are and therefore take it or leave it uh, as far as you would trust Josh. What we're attempting to do here is to say, what does Scripture say about itself uh, regarding this idea of righteousness? uh, And let us be um, embracing that as as truth. So did you actually read the whole comment? No. Okay. Uh, So it has uh, I have many questions, but one would be the idea of being righteous by faith alone. Some verses seem to indicate our righteousness is Christ's righteousness imputed, but others indicate a believer who does right is righteous, like 1 John 3, 7. The question first came up, etc., etc. Oh, I see. So the question first came up in regards to the verse that talks about the prayers of the righteous man availing much. <clears throat> and so uh, the question is then, the are those who are not walking in firm obedience, are their prayers in contrast weak and ineffective? So there are, I think, maybe three questions there at least. And one one's dealing with 1 John 3, 7, or 1 John in general, maybe. The other has to do with what James says in chapter 5 about the effectual prayer of a righteous man availing much. Or, uh, Yeah. And um, the other one has to do with the idea of 
righteousness and how that works. Am I, does that sound right? So we're kind of yep. going to the, the idea of righteousness right now. Yeah. So I wanted to, I thought maybe it'd be, it'd be helpful if we started with kind of leading into her first John three, seven question. Um, it, where she talks about our, some passages would say our righteousness is Christ's righteousness imputed to us. But then other passages like first John three, seven seem to say that only the one that's doing right is righteous. So that seems to imply that your righteousness has to do with whether or not you're doing right. Right. Uh, so the, the, the person that's doing good is considered righteous or the person that is in Christ is considered righteous or how do those work together? So I think that to maybe begin to tackle this, we should probably start with, let's just start with who are we as human beings when we are originally born into this world? What What is our status? What defines us? Maybe that would be a good place to start because we are, we could, we could make the argument that we are uh, in our initial state, we are unrighteous. That's, that is a fact. Uh, that, that is a fact of the Christian worldview that is laid out in scripture. Would you agree that that'd be a good place to start? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I might just briefly mention how do we understand scripture and, and in regards to the, um, what do they call it? The analogy of faith, scripture, interpreting scripture. Mm-hmm. So, to establish the authority of scripture, we might go to a passage like Second Timothy three. Well, actually, we would for sure go to a passage like Second Timothy three sixteen, which says that all scripture is God breathed and um, profitable, um, etc. The but the scope of inspiration is all scripture, and and if that's the case, then then scripture indeed does not contradict scripture. So then, in thinking about that passage, there's a lot we could go into. Um, looking at how the uh, apostles spoke of what they wrote. So like the Thessalonians in first Thessalonians two 13, um, that, that they received the word of um, the apostles, not as the word of man, but as the word of God. Um, the he tells Timothy and second Timothy two, eight, nine, that the gospel that he's been imprisoned for preaching is the word of God. Um, and then we can look at things like Jesus quoting the old Testament. And we can see that, Jesus and the apostles all considered the Old Testament to be authoritative and inspired and inerrant. And so there are many texts we can go to in looking at how scripture talks about itself as God's very word. And so therefore, because it's God's word, it's without error in its original texts and it's uh, authoritative. So with that established, I think, yeah, going and looking at then righteousness. So where would we start there? Yeah, so so let's for the sake of the argument, I guess let's imagine that someone is saying, "Okay, prove to me that I even that that unrighteousness is even something that is real for me. Am I actually unrighteous?" Right. Sure. Uh, so I think that'd be a good place to start, and and obviously um, Romans three would be a. a a, a quick and easy place to go, 310, where, it's, where we read, um, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Um, I think that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> yeah, and he's read, quoting the psalm that it yep. says, uh, let's see, what is, but the psalm even goes further. Um, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any 
who understand who seek after God. And he says, they have all fallen away together. They have become corrupt. There is no, none who does good, Mm -hmm. not even one. So yeah, that's a great place to start. Yep. So that, that describes who we are as human beings in our natural state. We are unrighteous people. Uh, So before we go any further, can you, can you define righteous? What does it mean to be unrighteous? I think it'd be good to maybe establish that definition. um, What it means to be an unrighteous person. Well, well, I think we can think about it in terms of, um, I mean, you can make it simple, right. Being right with God, righteous. Um, but in terms of uh, even the covenants uh, of covenant of works, covenant of grace. So the idea that we, we as a, as humanity in Adam have broken God's covenant. God is our, as our creator and our maker and our king, uh, we in Adam rebelled against him in unrighteousness, falling from our perfectly righteous state, righteous being um, always keeping the law of God, always walking in the right way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, that describes it really well. So I think like from a very broad perspective, we can say that righteousness is basically doing what is right, what is morally acceptable or ethically uh, in line, right? Uh, but from the Christian perspective, God is the one that sets that standard. God is the one that defines that. The character of God uh, is perfect. And his as he's revealed his will through his word, that defines what true righteousness yeah. is. And anything other than that would be unrighteous. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. You could look at, at the law and and say that, that the law the law shows what is perfect and right and good. It's righteousness. Yep. So those who do not keep the law are not righteous. Yeah. And that's how that's how Paul in Romans then can write that uh write that make that statement where he's quoting the psalm there. Uh there is none that are righteous, no not one. He's looking at God as the standard and saying no one no created being uh, measures up to the perfect standard who is God. Therefore, there is none that are righteous, no, not one. That's how he can come to that conclusion. Yeah, and and it would relate to justification in in what sense mm-hmm. then? In the sense of a um, like a legal context, almost uh, the the idea that we are judged uh, either as unrighteous and therefore uh, condemned or as righteous and therefore um, well I guess glorified is that mm-hmm. at the end of the day yeah so yep yeah so it would relate to justification in that way just ju- the idea of being righteous would be a, this very very much the same as the idea of being just or justified so yeah yeah that's very good so so that kind of that shifts our conversation then a little bit further uh a little bit further down the road, because now we're looking at, okay, so we're unrighteous. Uh, we have been exposed as lawbreakers. We're all lawbreakers. None of us has been able to keep the law 
to the degree of perfection that we would need to in order to be declared righteous. So if you take that and that picture that you're talking about, that illustration of, uh, of like, say, being in a courtroom where you've got the, the legal aspect of it, we've all appeared before the judge and the judge has declared all of us lawbreakers. And there's a consequence for that. And uh, I think R.C. Sproul would say in, in uh, I think he says it in the holiness of God, uh, we are all guilty of cosmic treason. So we've all been found guilty of rejecting and turning our backs on the God that created us. And there's nothing there's nothing that we can do to rectify the situation. There's no amount of penalty that can be paid. It's not um, it's not like you've been guilty of speeding. So therefore, you need to pay this fine and you're good to go. It's more in comparison to you have been found guilty of being a serial murderer and you've been given 15 life sentences one after the other. There's literally no way that you can fulfill your sentence. Um, So you are. (laughs) And it's even worse than that. Right. That's a very, very small, finite example of what it means to commit cosmic treason on a holy God. So I think that helps us see what that continues there in Romans three. And, and we could, if you read, I mean, wow, if you got questions on justification and righteousness, you know, read Romans is very helpful, but also Ephesians and we'll probably go there. But, but Paul continues and he, he talks about the law and, and how by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin because we are all sinners there's no possible way for us to be made right in God's sight, um, except he continues. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all for all who believe. And, and then of course, uh, for there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so, I mean, yeah, we see, I mean, Paul's building this case that no human being ever can ever be made righteous in and of themselves because of our, we, we already start unrighteous even at our conception. Yes. We're lot breakers. Yep, so... <laughs> We're yet yeah, we're born lawbreakers and we are condemned uh, rightfully so. And so if that's our state, that that's what we're born into. Uh, that's the reality for every human, whether or not we want to acknowledge it or not, doesn't really matter. Uh, the Bible, as God's word reveals to us, this is the reality for every human being. This is what every human being must come to terms with, um, either in this life or the next, that I'm a lawbreaker. And I've committed cosmic treason against a holy God. Uh, you can go to Romans so then the, five then the, then, right? And the question becomes, um, what does it? Yes, what what does it mean? That what is the solution? This, this is a problem, right? This is a problem for humans. So for and for God's created beings, uh, what it, that that He initially you you uh, talked about this earlier? He created Adam and Eve in the garden. We fell from God's favor. What is the solution? for us now then and this kind of brings us back this brings us to the question that we're talking about what does it look like for an unrighteous person to somehow be made right with this holy god that we have committed cosmic treason against what does it look like to be 
made right with this God to the point where um, we wouldn't be declared unrighteous, but we would be declared actually righteous, especially within the context of what you just read. There's not even a way for us to climb back up to that state that we're, we're literally unable to do that. So what would it look like for someone to be made righteous? Uh, someone that is is inherently unrighteous. So uh, the first place I was thinking about going was uh, just to continue on here in Romans 4, uh, with, where we see that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there you have an example that Paul goes to. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's in contrast Paul's making a point here. That's in contrast to someone that would try to work their way into God's favor. Abraham believed God and God bestowed on him his favor, counted him as righteous. And then it goes on to say there in verse five, um, it's not about the one who works, but the one who believes in God, the one who believes in him is justified because God justifies the ungodly. So the one who believes his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Uh, I think this is this is kind of starts to get us on the on the path then of what it looks like to be made right. It has a lot to do with faith. Yeah. What are your thoughts? It has a lot to do with 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 Christ. Um, yes. And 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 not a lot to do with our works. So yeah. Yes. And so yeah, it would then have to do with faith. And by the way, I, I want to point out that I kind of, our thought in starting the podcast, talking about the authority and of scripture and the inspiration of scripture. And then, and then how scripture interprets scripture. As we read Romans there, Paul is clearly saying that Abraham could do nothing for righteousness, but it was only by faith. And because he believed God, God credited Mm -hmm. to him righteousness. We're fully aware, Andrew and I, of what James says about Abraham believing God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And, and in 224, he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And, and, and Andrew and I are fully aware that this could be used as by someone, and it has been historically used, to say, now wait a minute, don't be so quick in saying that Paul is talking about righteousness by faith alone uh, and that that's the way to salvation. Because James here says that you're actually made righteous by, that you're justified by works and not by faith alone. And, and we're aware of that. And what we're doing is trying to build a, a case to show that the Bible as a whole, what it teaches. And, and, then, and then if you understand that scripture teaches this, then you see James. And by the way, if you really read through James, James is not saying that we are justified by works in the sense that we are made law keepers by works. James is talking about the the vindication of faith or the the works showing our faith, but but that's a different topic and a, probably a complicated topic, and that's why we're not directly dealing with right away First John three seven even because <clears throat> that would be many many podcasts of getting into explaining what who's John and we will talk a little bit about it, but who's John writing to and why is he writing the book um, and what is he actually saying there? We have to figure. It, we can't take things out of context. We have to look at the context of the, the verse, the chapter, the book, the paragraph, and then all of Scripture. So what we're trying to set is the case that Scripture teaches something, that we are born sinners in Adam, unrighteous, not even able to become just of ourselves. 
And that's and that's the case that we're making right now. Um, so I just wanted to throw that in there that we're aware that of James two and other passages that are maybe difficult to understand in light of of this these passages in Romans. But that makes sense. That, I don't want to confuse yeah. anyone. I also don't want no, to that's good. we're dodging an issue because we're yeah, not, yeah. So. No, that's that's good. That's very good clarity because um, one of the ways to come to a proper understanding of Scripture, uh, any passage of Scripture, what you, what you must have is a a clear understanding of how uh, I think the word I want to use is salvation, but basically how salvation works itself out in the life of a believer uh it doesn't begin with works and it's not maintained by works so that's what we're we need to establish some of the foundational principles of how god works out salvation in a believer's life uh in order to then look at some of these other scriptures that would talk about okay now that you're a believer this is what it looks like these are the encouraging passages for a believer. These are the exhortation passages for a believer, but you must first recognize what it means to actually be a believer. Uh, otherwise, you you will uh, really distort those passages, uh, especially when it comes to uh, understanding God's instructions to his church. If you, Without a proper understanding of salvation and how God works that out, we will destroy those passages, uh, and they are destroyed regularly. Oh, yeah. Uh, with a pro, um, an improper, and it, it always stems back to an improper understanding of how God actually accomplishes. So here's a good book to read for anyone that would want to: "Redemption Accomplished and Applied" by John Murray. So it's hey. a very difficult book, but that's what we're talking about, right? You have to yeah. understand how a redemption is accomplished, and then you can understand how it is applied and how it works itself out in the life of a believer. I mean, we're talking about John Murray. Why not talk about the imputation of Adam's sin? That's a good book yeah. too. Yep. Yeah, that's also also difficult to read, but yeah, very good book. Yeah, both difficult to read, both very good. Um, so, so when talking about the overarching teaching of Scripture, what helps me personally, and Andrew, you can comment on this and interrupt if you want, but is the idea of the two atoms that Paul really brings up uh, in Romans five and in First Corinthians fifteen. Um, so, looking at Romans five. The, the thought, the, the idea is this: that in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam a law, and He said, "Do not eat of this tree." And He gave him uh, covenant, really obligations. He gave him uh, warnings and and what would happen as punishment if he broke God's covenant. And so, Paul in Romans five twelve through nineteen, we he sees he presents to us uh, this this. These, this idea of imputation of, of Adam's sin to all of humanity because of Adam's covenant breaking. <clears throat> so we have this first Adam, and and Paul in Romans, we can just go to 5.12, but he goes all the way through um, 20, really. But therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And he goes through all these verses to tell us that in Adam, we are, we were made sinners. All of humanity in Adam were made sinners because of that covenant of works, as we would call it. But that covenant in the garden where in Adam, all of humanity was reckoned. So first of all, we start off 
in Adam, unable unable to get out of Adam. So covenantally, we are in Adam sinners and condemned. Not only that, we're, we are corrupted in our nature, and we also actually sin on our own. And it's, it's just a through and through sinfulness. So that's the, that's the first Adam idea. So, and then the second Adam, of course, is Jesus Christ. And Paul explicitly calls him the last Adam, the first Adam and the last Adam in first Corinthians 15. Um, but in Christ then, who was not born in Adam, he was born by the power of the Holy spirit and of the Virgin Mary. So even as a federal head, Adam was not his federal head in that sense. And I think that's an important thing to recognize. But Christ, born pure, born covenantally pure, born not corrupt, and born uh, a righteous and holy, um, perfect human. And he lived that perfect life in in, in an exact, entire, personal perpetual obedience to God's law. He perfectly kept the law and not, not just the law that Adam had in, in the garden, which I would, I would say included God's moral law, the 10 commandments <clears throat> and those principles that we see in the old, old covenant law, but also the very particular Jewish laws, which like having maybe a weird haircut or wearing different clothes and not being able to eat certain foods. He kept all of that perfectly. And then he was killed um, for us as, as a sacrifice, but also, um, uh, he was resurrected because of his righteousness. And, and so now as the resurrected and anointed savior, the Messiah, all those who are in him are reckoned in him to be as righteous as he is. And that's the that's the second Adam. That's the two lines of humanity. You have those in the first Adam and those who are brought into by faith, brought into covenant with, with the second Adam. So in Christ. So you have the covenant of works, which is still active. Those who do not believe in Christ are still under the covenant of works and the punishment of the covenant of works. Those who are in Adam still. And then we have those who are in Christ and we would call that the covenant of works. And so, for me personally, and like I said, you can interrupt, but that's a very helpful way to look at the overarching, uh, let me call it a narrative of scripture. And so coming to scripture, seeing this in scripture, and we see it throughout scripture in the Old Testament, for example, the sacrifices we see, we see foreshadowings of Christ in, in all those things in the Old Testament. And, and something, we see that those people looking forward to someone who was going to come, as we see in Genesis 3.15, the, the promised seed of the woman who was going to come and crush the head of the serpent once and for all. Um, and we finally, we see him come in Christ. And and so we have those two lines. And, and as scripture unfolds, we see more and more um, who this person is, is going to be and what he's going to do. And then, he, of course, he's born. And then the New Testament I mean, these guys weren't writing new stuff necessarily. They were teaching the Old Testament. And you see that when you see the Bereans searching the scriptures as they as they were taught by the apostles, for example. They were searching the Old Testament scriptures and making sure that what, what the apostles were teaching them was actually what the Bible said. And they're commended for it. 
we see, uh, of course, Paul talking to Timothy there in Second Timothy three about all scripture. Those those scriptures that Timothy was brought up in, that he was taught throughout his childhood, those were the Old Testament scriptures. And so we see in the New Testament not a new idea, or even a, not necessarily new teaching, but really it's 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 really built on the Old Testament and and what was being pointed forward to and and explained in the Old Testament. The New Testament kind of has that that hindsight. Now we see who Christ is and what He does, and it's even more explicit. Maybe is that a good way to put it? Mm-hmm. But in other words, Scripture is teaching us something that is not. It's not like the book of Job teaches one thing and then the book of uh, Matthew teaches another thing and and they're kind of disconnected books or teachings. But the Bible is one cohesive um, narrative from God to to teach us of the redemption that he is working in Christ Jesus. How's that that sound for a second? No, that's good. So I want to take what you said. That's really good. That that is the that is the gospel, right? What you just laid out is that is the good news that unrighteous sinners, or yeah, unrighteous sinners are not. We are not unrighteous sinners without hope. There is a hope that we can be reconciled and declared righteous before God because of the second Adam, because of what Christ did, because of what because He came. Because he lived the life that he did, because he died on the cross, because he rose from the grave. This is the good news of the gospel that everything points to. It's the the culmination of God's message to us that I've not left you to die in your unrighteousness. I have actually uh, established a way for you to be once again declared righteous in my sight however it will not be on your merit it'll be on the merits of the second adam it'll be on the it'll be on the merits of the one who has come and actually done what you as humans could not and would not do right so that that's kind of that is what makes it possible for this for for us to then read something like uh Romans 4:22 that says Faith is counted to faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, uh, and this is it says this isn't just for Abraham. This is for anyone. This is for everyone that would read these words and believe. It says righteousness will be counted to us also who believe in Him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, which is who is the second Adam that you were just talking about, who did all the things that you just described. We become righteous because of our faith in the second Adam, because of our faith in Jesus, our Lord, because we believe that he is who he says he is. And we trust that what he did was enough. It was what was it was it was required. He, he fulfilled what was required to absorb the wrath of God forgive us of our sins, and then bring us into a right relationship with God where we are then declared righteous by the just and holy judge. Uh, we are then pardoned for our cosmic treason. So the reason that it's very important to establish this, as we've said before, is because now we have a path to be declared righteous, and it's only by faith in Christ. It's only by coming under the headship 
of the second atom. And so what that does then is that now that has created kind of a framework for us to read passages that talk about these this group of people that has been brought into a right relationship with God as their faith in God, their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, as that faith begins to take root in their life and begins to work itself out in their life, this is what that will look like. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of that's the that's the uh, kind of the the framework that we're working from. Then, right? Uh, am I am I correct in that? As as you start to look at some of these passages that talk about, okay, now this is what the Christian walk looks like. Living out your faith will look like this, or should look like this, or can look like this. How, you know, whatever passage you're looking at, um, what, it, that's kind of why why we're setting this these uh, precedent principles up, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As you read scripture, there are confusing passages on the face of things. If you're just reading on, you know, without a, um, I mean, some passages take, you got to read like it's literature. You can't just read one verse and say you understand the verse necessarily, but you need to read what is the author actually saying. And yeah, and, and in that, <clears throat> because God is the divine author who wrote all of scripture, but he wrote uh, I mean, men, he used men to write his word also, which is crazy to think about, but he inspired them by his Holy Spirit to write exactly what he wanted written. And yet these guys used their own language and only way of doing things. And they wrote for a particular pur- a purpose uh, for a particular people at a particular time. Um, and, and so we have to recognize both that, that men were writing these things and they were not being just controlled by God like robots, but but also we have to recognize that it is God who wrote all of scripture and that all of scripture is for us to teach us something too. It's, it's not just, you know, like I said, bits and pieces here and there thrown together. Um, and so, yeah, it's very important to establish the basic principles and come to scripture understanding that this is, this is, these are the basic things that scripture does teach. And so when you come to a passage that looks like, whoa, 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 now is James contradicting what Paul said? You can un- you can know that God did not contradict what God said. Yes, very very good. Yes, that's that's important, and and this helps us kind of reconcile these verses so that they can work together to give us a deeper understanding of God's truth and not uh, not divide uh, our understanding of God's word. Uh, I want to yeah. go to one other passage then, uh, just to kind of round out. Are obviously this this conversation could go on for a long, long time. It already uh, has. But I, it already has. <laughs> uh, I just want to go to one other passage really quickly, and that I think will will kind of round out this idea of um, what it means to have uh, to be counted righteous because of our faith. And it's not. Um, I've been reading through a book by John Piper called "Brothers, We Are Not Professionals," and he makes the point in there that um, it's not our faith that is. Our righteousness. It's the fact that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that we come to him as sinners clinging to him as our savior. His righteousness is then given to us. Our faith is the the evidence that we've been regenerated. So it's not our faith that is our righteousness. It's our faith. It's it's through our faith that we are counted righteous. But I just wanted to make that that clarifying point. Um, well, it's, it's, and, and you might even say it's by our faith that we are joined to Christ in union with him. That's yes, the, uh, correct. The Holy Spirit uses faith to bring us into union with Christ. 
Yeah. So uh, there was one other passage I wanted to go to, and uh, I'm not finding it right off the top of my head here. Well, um, can I just mention uh, Ephesians yeah, go 2? Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so in dealing with 1 John 3, or the whole book of 1 John, I mean, John John's writing here and, and telling uh, – the church that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that, well, let's just go to 3.7. Uh, that's, the, that's the passage in question. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. You're in First John, right? Um, First John 3.7? 1 John 3.7, yep. yeah. And that's kind of the passage in question in the in the Facebook um, yep. comment or the Facebook message. And, and so – Thinking about that, practicing righteousness. Whoever whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. And and John talks about this too. But it, but um, let's go to Ephesians two just to compare scripture with scripture and, and look at what Paul says. It's this great passage, and please read the whole the whole book of Ephesians, but especially focusing on chapter two and then focusing in on these verses two eight through ten. And ten is often left out by people, uh, but it says for by grace and for by grace, meaning uh, not by works because we were dead and unable to do anything. So by, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. And the, this would be referring to faith in my understanding that this faith is not your, even your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And that's a big deal with Paul too. He, he uses that in Romans as a proof saying, hey, if you perform your own righteousness, then what reward you receive is credited. It's your, it's, it's your stuff that you've done. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You can't do anything. It's all about what Jesus did. So anyway, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And then verse 10, which is very helpful to me personally in understanding how this all works. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The idea is that we're not saved by God just just to be saved, but we are actually saved by God to begin to walk as Jesus walked, to begin to be conformed to the image of Christ. And God prepares these good works beforehand, and we are his workmanship to walk in those good works in Christ Jesus. And, And I think that's a very important thing to understand in our sanctification is that we are we are becoming like he is. It's not that we are perfect. And in first John, he talks about that. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I mean, first John, John is saying we are all sinners. And and so when we come to three and we see that <clears throat> the idea of practicing righteousness is contrasted with the idea of practicing sinning. And, and what he's saying is those who are in Christ righteous will live more and more, they will make a practice of being like Christ because God has worked in us that faith that joins us to Christ and that makes us, he's working in us by his spirit and by his word to purify us even more and more as, as we are yet sinners in our, you know, we're still sinning. We sin every day. We sin very often, but, but our practice is not sinning. Our practice is righteousness that is who we are in christ and that's what it should look like if we are truly christians even though we still sin we should be repenting of that sin we should be turning from sin and and be and being 
in faith, relying upon God, being practicers of righteousness. So maybe you found what you were looking for. Yeah, I think that if we look at Romans 14, 23, it gives us a little bit more of a, it kind of rounds out the conversation that we were having as far as uh, the reality of being justified and declared righteous by faith. And then what does that look like as it starts to work itself out in the life of a believer? And Romans 14, 23 says, uh, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. And that you have to read that in the context of the previous passage. But this is the key part here. He says, because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Okay, so that's the that's the key part of that verse there that uh, anything that that we do that is not anchored in faith in Christ is sinful. So what that does is that that takes all of the good things that we do that we might think that we're doing as Christians, uh, going to church, uh, volunteering, uh, donating to to different charities, uh, doing our devotions every day, uh, whatever it is that we're doing. If it's not anchored in faith in Christ, then it is not uh, it's not a good thing. It's actually sinful is what that verse is saying. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So what that means then as we begin, as our faith begins to work itself out in our lives, we're never going to do this perfectly, but there is an element of the Christian walk where the things that we do start to be motivated by faith in Christ. So when I, when I come to God's word and I come to it with faith that I am righteous in God's eyes. I've been declared righteous because of what Christ has done on my behalf. When I come to the word with that motive, that is that is an act that is flowing out of the faith that I have in Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the same thing would go for if I go, if I attend church to hear God's word, if I'm doing that and I'm motivated by the fact that I have faith in Christ and that faith that I have in Christ is what is moving me to do this, then that 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 is faith working itself out in my life. However, that, that's in contrast to someone who could do the same exact actions but not be motivated by faith and be in sin for what they're doing. And I think that kind of rounds out then the, the conversation we're having about what it looks like to be declared righteous and then have that that justification by faith begin to work itself out in our life is we're, we want our we want to be growing in our life um, we want to be growing and living out our faith in the sense that the things that we do are motivated by the faith that we have in Christ and I think that takes us to this first John 3 7 passage then uh, where he's talking about people that are living righteously, uh, if we take everything that we've discussed about what it means to be righteous, I think that the the framework that we have to read this passage through is John is talking about people who have been declared, have been determinately declared righteous by God through faith in Christ. They have already been declared righteous. That is what is true of every believer. So if he's talking about believers, he's talking about people that have been declared righteous. And now he's saying this is what it looks like. When you live out your faith in Christ, you will do things that are anchored in faith. So when he says practicing righteousness, 
The only thing that he can be talking about there is living out a life where the things that you do are motivated by a faith, by your faith in Christ. Uh, and we can look at, you know, we can, we can look around and we can, we can look through scripture and we get direction on what that looks like. Uh, but I'm sharing that because it's important that we don't get uh, the cart before the horse and think that I'm doing righteous things like uh, I'm doing good things. And somehow that the, the acts in themselves are righteous. The uh, no act is declared righteous. Or, there is no righteous act if it's not first anchored in faith in Christ. Yeah. And like I, like I had said before, and, and just for the listeners, Andrew's feed cut out kind of when I was talking about first John, I mean, John's talking about <clears throat> talking to people and telling them, Hey, if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar. So John is yeah. indeed talking about the, the yeah. life that we live yep. is a life that reflects Christ, even as we are still yep. sinners in in what we do. Yeah, exactly. Think. And so and and so, if you look at First John as a whole, one of the righteous acts that would be anchored in faith in Christ would be, um, if you go back to the end of eight or the end of I'm sorry, the end of chapter one, the beginning of verse two. One of the righteous acts for a believer would be running to the cross and confessing our sins and repenting of the fact that we are sinful people, right? So, so that part that is a part of uh, whoever practices righteousness. Uh, that is that is an act that is anchored in faith is going to the cross and confessing that God, I am a sinner and I hate the fact that I'm a sinner and I'm coming to you and confessing my sins because I have faith that you have declared me righteous. And I have faith that Christ's righteousness and Christ's obedience and all that Christ did is sufficient to make me right before you, not on anything that I've done. So uh, I think that gives us a little bit of clarity there um, on who John is addressing and how he's addressing them. Um, yeah, and he's, and, he's, and he's really addressing false teaching too, like pre-Gnostic mm-hmm. type stuff maybe where, I mean, the Gnostics would teach that the flesh uh, it is separate from the spirit, and so what's done in the flesh. I mean, this is one example. Basically, the flesh is separate than from the spirit, so whatever you do in the flesh doesn't really matter. And as you see, in and John starts the letter talking about what we have looked upon, touched with our hands. He's making the point that um, <clears throat> that if we sin in the flesh, we are sinners. So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's specifically addressing false teachers who are saying things like, "Hey." If you're sinning in the flesh, that's that's not bad. I mean, there's no sin. You're not sinning. Spirit. Your your spirit is good, or something to that effect. And so it's important as you come to these texts to recognize the uh, wait. What is what is John actually saying, and why is he saying it? Mm-hmm. So yeah. So let's uh, we'll we'll start to bring this podcast to a close because I think while we haven't spent a lot of time directly on these on these verses that were shared, um, I think that building the framework was is the proper way to go about understanding these verses then but we can just take a little bit a few more minutes here and talk about uh she brought up uh, the the prayers of a righteous man availeth much and that's in james 5 i believe yeah. right um she's referencing yeah, there so given what we've talked about to this point uh that we are declared righteous by faith in christ uh and Anything that we do in this life as Christians, if it's to be uh, not sinful, 
it must be anchored in faith in Christ. That, that must be the motive for anything that we do. Uh, if that's the case, now what are we talking about here when we have a righteous man praying and the, the promise that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. What, what do we do with this, given the framework that, we've, that we have established to this point? Yeah, well, uh, well, first of all, this passage is, is um, I mean, it involves dealing with the idea of healing and the idea, the idea of confessing sins. There's a lot of um, extra context to this. But, uh, but the idea is that, I mean, to put it basically, those who are being conformed to the image of Christ— more and more and more are righteous. They were act. They act righteously, and they. But part of acting is thinking, and, and praying. How you pray uh, is more and more conformed to thinking about God and what He would want you to pray for, and 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 a concern with Himself bringing Himself glory. He bring Himself glory. Um, so when you intercede for people, you're not going to pray that they would get a new Lamborghini. I mean, w- would you? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I don't think that that would be a, a helpful thing for most people. Yeah, so I, th- I think the, the idea here is that the prayer of a righteous man availing much, it's the idea that the righteous person is the one who is concerned about the doing what God wants them to do. I mean, that's very simply put. Yeah. But, yes. And so if you're yes. doing that, what you pray for will be what what God wants you to pray for. And so whatever you're praying for, that's that's going to – God does use prayer to accomplish his will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sure. as he uses your prayer, he accomplishes his will. And, and the more you pray according to his will, like Daniel prayed in, uh, oh, Daniel, what chapter? Nine, maybe seven? But he, he was looking at the, you know, Jeremiah, where it said in 70 years, he'll send the people back. And Daniel prays, hey, God, you said in 70 years you'd send your people back. So please, let's, let's, let's get back to rebuild the, the temple it's, or something like that. Boy, I should have looked it up. But, but the idea is that Daniel prays according to God's revealed will. And God uses that prayer and works to... Um, accomplish his will, but also he answers Daniel's prayer. Does that make sense? Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So this question is a great question and, and boy, it brings up a lot of things if we just deal with that passage probably, but overall that's, that's kind of what I think about it. Yeah. And so I want to provide just a, just a very, uh, I think a very succinct answer uh, to her, her final question here. Uh, She's asking, does this verse mean that the prayers of those who are not walking in firm obedience are weak and and ineffective. Um, and I think that what we would say there is uh, there's not, uh, this passage is not saying that the more obedient you are, the more powerful your prayers are. Uh, there's, there's two things that we've established uh, to this point. And one is a righteous man, is one who is who has been declared righteous by God, right? So it would seem that James is talking about a believer here, uh, someone who has been declared righteous, and then in uh, in relation to that, a prayer that is anchored in righteousness will be a prayer that is anchored in exactly what you're talking about, faith 
in Christ and, and wanting to do God's will, wanting to do what God desires. So you, so I think that the man that you're talking about here um, is a man that that has been declared righteous and is praying prayers that are anchored in faith. And when you have that combination, you have effective and powerful prayers that God is using. Uh, it's not saying that the the more you grow in your obedience, the more powerful your prayers become. And uh, therefore, a new believer who has just been just been uh, regenerated and has just been declared righteous, who's still working through a lot of things, uh, that person it doesn't mean that their prayers are less effective than someone who's been a Christian for 30 years, right? It just means that when you have this combination, you end up with with uh, powerful and effective prayers. That That's the way I would take yeah. this passage, I guess. Yeah. What do you think? And yeah, please read Daniel 9, I would say. It is Daniel 9, by the way, in regards to thinking about this, because that's exactly what you were saying. That's a good illustration, Daniel 9, is of what you were saying there. Perfect. Yeah, so take a look at Daniel 9 and... Uh, we will bring this podcast to a close, and um, we've gone just a little bit over the 60-minute mark. Uh, I don't know what we'll be at when we finish editing, but um, so, Josh, I will uh, give you just give you the final word here, and we'll finish up. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. Please comment. Uh, please give us five stars or whatever you want to give us on wherever you're at, but especially iTunes. If you rate and review us, that'd be very helpful. And come uh, take a look at our Facebook page or Twitter page. Leave a comment or a question if you have one. Uh, Facebook, just search Practically Theologians. Twitter, we're at P Theologians. And you can email in a question or comment too at podcast at practicallytheologians.org. Thanks for listening. Andrew, you want to say goodbye? All right. Thanks. Thanks.